Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest podcast in the Guild family, Easing the Reader, a rereading of uh, Wheel of Time, and actually the first book of them all. My name is Chris Mary Holtman, and with me I have a constant violator of the Man Act, Mr. David Green. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so we're going to, the, the idea behind this podcast is that we're going to be reading uh, The Wheel of Time. And Dave, you have quite, uh, that's your favorite series, right? Yeah, it, it is. Um, I came to it, that's, that's, that's supposed to be late. I think a lot of people came to Wheel of Time that I know around the same time that I did, which was just after Crossroads of Twilight came out. So it was about 2000, 2001, which is strange because it's probably the least favorite out of everyone from the series. Mm. But it was the one that kind of brought a lot of people in. So it was just before, it was after that, just before New Spring came in, which is obviously the spin-off. Um, so that was like, Jesus, nearly 20 years ago now. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I devoured it. Um, I picked up Eye the World. I, I can remember why I got into it as well. I was working in a place called Birkenhead, which is uh, the other side of the Mersey River from Liverpool. So it was a long, long, uh, from where I lived, it was, a, it was a really long commute every day. And I was in the uh, train station in Liverpool, and they had posters up for the for Crossroads of Twilight. And I kept on seeing it every day, and I was reading something at the time, and I was coming towards the end of it. I was like, I need something new to read. And I just kept seeing these posters, and it was like the, the tagline on it was um, Jordan has uncovered the world Tolkien revealed. <laughs> okay. And I was like, well, this 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 sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something I'd like. So I went to Waterstones, which is a bookseller in, in England, um, and I got the first one, Eye of the World. Mm. And I finished that. Started reading it on my break at work straight away, read it on the way home, read it that night, read it on the way into work the next day as well, and I finished it on my lunch break the next day, so I literally read it in 24 hours. Um, went to went to the bookshop and bought the next, I bought Great Hunt, Dragon Reborn, and Shadow Rising, I think, um, straight away. And then, yeah, that was it. I, I kind of, uh, my best mate got into it as well at the same time, which was great, so we'd be able to discuss it. And obviously, then the series hadn't been finished, and Robert Jordan was still writing them. Um, the, the, and, and the internet was was growing. There was great websites you could go onto, like Fairyland, and and all these other places where you could go and discuss and see all these different theories and everything. It was a really exciting time. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I'm really envious of people that are going to pick it up, like yourself, that are going to pick it up and read it again mm. uh, for the first time. Sorry, or that kind of stops and started again. And but you know, the great thing about Wheel of Time is that I find that um, it's a it's a, a really rewarding reread re, re, because I think in the twenty years since I first read it, I've probably gone through the whole series around twenty times. Okay, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great feat because I mean, if you if but the one thing that I've always reacted to is like the 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 girth of a Robert Jordan book and Wheel of Time. I mean, it. it um, I mean, like my wife wa- reads the Outlander books, mm-hmm. and they're just massive tomes. I mean, it's a. It takes some dedication to read. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, yeah, they do. And like you know, even the shortest one in the series, I, I can't remember off the top of my head which one is the shortest. It's either Dragon Reborn or or Crossroads of Twilight, not including New Spring, which is the shortest. It's a novella. It's a, well, it's a novella, but it's still two hundred thousand words. Um, it's um, yeah, even the shortest ones are still over two hundred thousand words. Like the, the the big big books, and you know, you got Shadow Rise, and you got two books in the series, like Shadow Rising and Lord of Chaos, which are bigger than mm. the three, are bigger than Lord of the Rings, you know, in just one volume. Um, and you got two of those. It's, it's, a, it's a mammoth series. Um, and, you know, that put, that does put some people off because then you, you see the size of them and you see all 15 of them, including New Spring. It's, it's, a, it's a big commitment. But I, I, I genuinely think if you like fantasy and you do get hooked into it it is something that you always go back to because you um like we'll, we'll talk more about it as we get into the reread and sure not on further podcast method but i remember reading it and despising some characters um that now are my favorite characters when i go back to read now because i'm older and i kind of see their points of view a little bit oh, more okay. mm. where when i was a teenager well not a teenager but a young adult reading them uh, yeah, actually, I was a teenager when I started reading these. Um, uh, I would kind of look at like some of the characters like Nineveh and um, and Moraine, and I was kind of like, they just they stop telling the, the lads what to do. They're just laughing <laughs> <at> the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and now I'm kind of like, I'm go back and read it, and now my dad and I'm kind of like, yeah, I can completely see why Nineveh just is so annoyed at these people all the time. And, and my relationship to Robert Jordan is, I mean, it's not super different, really, in the way that I was introduced to Robert Jordan. Well, Robert Jordan was always, for anybody who's been in, who's into fantasy, Robert Jordan and the Wheel of Time uh, has always been, it's always been in the forefront. I mean, it's something that you hear of. I mean, when I grew up and I started developing my interest in fantasy literature, it was Robert Jordan and it was Stephen Donaldson and Tolkien, of course, but I mean, of the of the more modern era uh, authors, it, it was Weiss and Hickman's Dragonlance books, R.A. Salvatore. It, it was those guys were were the big names. So Robert Jordan was always there, <clears throat> and then of course Salvatore and and Weiss and Hickman always that they wrote within a series, Dragonlance, mm-hmm. and it was a Forgotten Realms that is, uh, yeah, yeah, Salvatore. Yeah. So, but. And I didn't actually, and, and here, because I lived, I mean, when I was younger, I lived here in Sweden as well. And they wow. were always, every year we had, there's a, this huge book sale. In February, all the booksellers have this huge book sale. And they sell books. And Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time books are always part of that book sale, the Swedish translations. They're always, right. every single book is in two volumes. Right. So there's an Eye of the World 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually called, they're not called the Wheel of Time here, it's called, uh, well, I mean, if you translate it from Swedish to English, uh, The Tale of the Dragon's Return. Well, that sounds like a completely different series, really, when you think about it. I mean, it, it sums it up, but yeah. it, sounds, it sounds like a completely different tone. Yeah, and I think it was because they wanted to. Swedes have always generally been pretty far removed from fantasy literature. Only a certain amount has ever been, you know, translated into Swedish. It's more now, but before it was, I mean, it was Jordan Donaldson and Tolkien were basically the books that you could get in Swedish. Right. Um, and 
I think they were trying to spin off Tolkien, like because all the books in the Lord of the Rings series in Swedish are called the Tale of. The Tale of the Two Towers, the Tale of the One Ring, the Tale of the Return of the King. Right, okay. That makes sense. So I think that's what they were trying to do. But I didn't actually read Jordan until I started studying at the university. I did actually read Conan the Barbarian or his books, the Conan uh, the Invincible, Conan the Defender, and stuff like that. That was my first introduction to Jordan's writing. But then when I went to the university and I started you know, study um, literature, to be a literary scholar with a major in fantasy literature, I had to read Jordan. It was on the required list. Well, as he should be. And so, and then I read, we read, because you only get, because you don't have time, because you have to read so many books, I, it was Eye of the World was what you had to read, and then you had to read other things. Um, David Eddings, for instance, which, I mean, sorry, but if there are any David Eddings fans out there, I, th those are the pits. I do not care for David Eddings. Uh, I will say that I have a I have a fondness for him, uh, but I do understand it as well. I actually um, I actually read them. I read the Belgariad recently as a reread. I hadn't read it for about uh, probably for around fifteen years or something. Um, and yeah, and, and especially since now, I, I, I think to just kind of point out to anyone listening that we we are both. Um, uh, writers as well. We were published authors. <laughs> yeah. We're going to kind of look at this thing in a, in a, in a different kind of spin because we'll probably put like we'll look at it in terms of other writing sort of way yeah. and, and, and tropes and other things that is used. But um, yeah, so as I've kind of been out as a writer, and I, I went back and read the Belgariad, and it, it, it wouldn't get. I don't think it'd get published today, which is how no, changed like you know standards have changed and that's an interesting thing about either world when we start getting when we talk about the first five chapters uh in and the prologue that i don't think it would open with the prologue if it was released today no no i i, I agree i agree um yeah and after that after i read the first one i actually did read uh the two following books the great hunt and i think i started the dragon reborn but didn't didn't finish it because I was kind of feeling I had a lot of other things to read because in the middle of my scholar, I mean, my the program uh, at the university, so I had a bunch of things to read. Uh, so it fell to the wayside, and then I felt kind of I think I do I think I know where this is going. Um, but I think also that comes from being young and just believing that you know everything. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, I think um, I think that's the way though. As well, like uh, with, with the first three wheel time books, there is. Um, I, I find the first three to have like quite a self contained arc. It, it obviously, it spins into the other ones, and there's ramifications from it and everything. But there is, you could read those first three and finish the series to an extent where you'd be like, I can, I believe this is the end of the series, and and finish it there. I think he did that on purpose, so in a way. Um, but the fourth one then really expands the horizons of the series, um, and it's many people's favourite in the series that I've, I've noticed as well. Um, it really expands the scope. There's new cultures that come into it, there's new lands, with new uh, antagonists. Um, the characters really, really develop as well from what's happened in the previous three books. But I'm excited to go back through them with you again because. Um, it's great to uh, to see that you, you know you're a relapsed wheel of time reader, and we're gonna 
before the, we'll, we'll, we'll try before the TV show comes out to get through the entire series. We'll see if we can do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can do that. The one thing that I think, and I did have, I did have, a, I have a colleague now who loves uh, the Wheel of Time. He's going to be probably listening to our podcast. Um, but I also had, a, I had an old friend who also loved uh, the Wheel of Time, and he said that the reason why he loved it was you get, you get both sides of the story. Um, you don't only get the hero side of the story; you even get the other side of the story. Now, at that time, I don't know if I really understood what he meant by that. Yeah, I'm trying to think what he means by that. I can kind of see that. I think what he means is by you do get a lot of fleshing out of some of the Forsaken as it goes on, and you, the first, especially the Eye of the World, is very Rand-centric. It's, it's pretty yeah. much exclusively tied to his point of view, whereas that changes quite a lot um, as you go on through the series, especially with, you know, he's, he's actually in a couple of the later ones. He's, well, actually in, in The Dragon Reborn, it's, I think there's only a few chapters from his point of view altogether, even though it's called The Dragon Reborn. Um, but you do get his arc throughout the whole series, and again, this this podcast is going to go into massive spoilers. But we'll be trying to not spoil things that are coming ahead from what we're talking about, mainly for your um, benefit, seeing as you've not read them. Yeah. But from his arc, you do get you get it's such a well told arc, and you get to see so many different facets of his personality and what he goes through that you could sort of say that he is at points becomes the villain, mm. or very villain. Esque, and you get to kind of live in that psyche, and you can see why he reacts in the way to certain things. So I can get what your friend is saying. Oh, as well, like, you know, there's, 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 there's great po- uh, point of view chapters from many of the villains as well, the Forsaken and, and uh, Pantane mm-hmm. and other people. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's a 14 book plus a a prequel series, so there's, there's plenty of room to explore. <laughs> there will uh, definitely be all, room to explore. All 2,000 named characters that are in the series. Yes. Uh, okay, so I think we'll j- jump into our kind of reread. We're doing the first, I counted five chapters as prologue and the four following chapters. Yeah, so up too. until uh, Winter Night, right, is the fifth chapter or something yep. like that? So we start off with the prologue, and we are introduced to a place, a palace that is in chaos. I should say that the last time I actually read Wheel of Time wasn't the book. It was the very interesting comic book series from Daybell Comics. Mm-hmm. That I don't know if you've been come in contact with that one. Yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it later was bought up by Dynamite, so there was actually a time where they didn't put out, and I think only the first three... Uh, books or three actually the first three um, uh, single issues came out under the Dayville name and then it was bought by Dynamite and continued like a year later yeah so uh, but we can come into that later uh, if we don't have anything else to talk about we can talk about the correlation between the comic book and the the book I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll have plenty of things to talk about <laughs> yeah. so we start off with the prologue uh, which is kind of like, as you said, kind of like a standalone thing. Um, and also you were talking about that you don't think that it would have, that the, a prologue like this would have worked. I mean, when I write a prologue for my stories, it is intimately connected with what is going to happen next, maybe a year or so 
ahead. And this yeah. made me feel a little bit like an episode of Lost. Because mm. it's like you don't know, or uh, for people that are a little bit more relatable, Westworld, you don't know when this actually takes place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one. Like, you know, uh, it hooked me straight away. And I think I'm in a minority with that because a lot of people don't like the prologue. Or when they go back to reread the series, they appreciate it more because they're more familiar with the characters that are in it and the terms that are used. Mm. But um, when, you're, when you just pick this up for the first time, there's so many names and there's so many terms and other things that I've thrown at you. And it's, and it's not like in producing, so this is Sadine, this, 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 this. It's just literally, this has happened. And I, 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 I suppose it to evoke the confusion that, that uh, Lucifer and Telemon is, is, is experiencing at the time. Um, yeah. But it's, it's interesting from a writing point of view is that I think these days, I mean, prologues are still used in prologues, especially in fantasy. But as you say, they're a lot more tied to what's going on and they're, and they're used as a hook to kind of get you, oh, this is this is interesting. Mm. Whereas with the prologue in this, it's confusing to a lot of people. Put it this way, I'll be very surprised if the TV show opens with this. Yeah, I would too. I mean, the comic book did open with the prologue. Mm-hmm. Hang on a sec. Just hang on a sec. Um, yeah, no, I was... Um, and I think when I read it the first time, it did confuse me. Mm-hmm. And I remember that when I read it now. That man, and I even tried to listen to the audiobook once a few years ago. And the, and I was in the car, and I think I was driving through a place that I hadn't been to before. So I ne- really needed to concentrate on the road. Uh, and I just remember that the, 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 it threw me off. And I just kind of like, no, I'm putting this away. I'm not going to listen to this because I'm not, I don't understand what's going on. But when I read it again, it actually did give me a completely different perspective. And actually, I loved the prologue. Because I love the way Jordan kind of, of course, this is kind of like a, it's a segment in the grand scope of things. And of course... The, because it's told out of the the, the, the the character's perspective and the 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 dragon right is that who it is yeah, it is yeah, yeah yeah and of course it's it's like it's a, it's plucked out of a different story so of course there wouldn't be all the details and the exp- explanations and things like that and I understood their dialogue in a different way this time than I had when I read it the first time obviously Right, that makes sense. Um, yeah, like you know, I, I enjoyed. Did you, did you ever watch the um, the TV pilot that was made based on this? No, I didn't. I didn't actually, <laughs> but oh, I think I'll check should, it out. You should definitely watch it on YouTube. So, like the, the company that have TV rights, basically. In fact, this is my. If anyone listens that knows more or, or more accurately, well, this is my understanding of it. Was that the, a TV company had the rights to the to the show, and they had to have something produced by a certain point. Otherwise, the rights would revert back to Tokyo, um, Jordan's estate. Mm-hmm. And um, without kind of consulting Jordan's estate, they um, made a TV pilot based on the prologue called Winter Dragon. And it came out 
in the middle of the night on uh, a oh, TV. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that part. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of the that kind of coup yeah. thing. Yeah, and so they have Billy Zane is playing uh, Ishmael. And that's <laughs> Billy Zane is the best thing about it. Like he, he's just doing his lines. He obviously has no idea what's going on, like what any of it means. <laughs> it is so bad. Like it is so 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 bad. And I think that's one of the other reasons why this. I think this will happen in the TV show at some point. But I think it will because there's points that I can think of further down the line in the story where a flashback containing this would would work really mm. well. I just think. Um, Again, open, opening with it is um, a bold move, yeah. and I think the, it just shows you how you know, the Wheel of Time came out in 1990, yeah. years ago. It shows you how things have changed, because I think now, if Eye of the World was to release today, I think it would just open with the cold open of random time going down the, uh, going down the road yeah. with the... With the, with, I think it's a really striking image, but yeah, I, I like the I like the prologue a lot. I, I like to I like to go and read it and say as as I've read Real Time more, I'm I am I am um, you know I appreciate it a lot more. But this, I'm, I'm just looking at the, uh, on the the entry for it on a, on a what fandom, which is a Real Time wicket, and the stuff that's referenced in the prologue. Let me just count it. The characters and things referenced: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12, 35, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 5, 6, 7, 31 different people are concept stuff places <laughs> in the prologue. <laughs> And I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but it to me, you can either do Wheel of Time horribly, like you would do Earthsea, or uh, like they did Earthsea, or the way they did the Shannara series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Shudder to think. They can either do that, ruin the whole concept, or they can try to have, you know, I don't want to say that that Game of Thrones was a groundbreaking show because you always you have to remember that great Game of Thrones isn't your typical fantasy there's such so little of the fantasy elements in it that it works for a broader spectrum yeah um, yeah the thing with Game of Thrones and I don't know if Wheel of Time will go down this path I think it might do a little bit Game of Thrones has made was a fantasy show appeal to people that watch sports and other things like that and they did it really really well because it brought in so many different people from outside of fantasy to come and watch it yeah and i think you know when they, when they pitched it uh, to hbo they were they referred to it as lord of the rings meets, meets the sopranos yeah which you know you can see that and you can you can it totally makes sense um with wheel of time like you know there's more innate magic yeah. to it, which a Game of Thrones, it, it hides quite a bit of it, and even in the books it's, yeah. it's below the surface, first surface for a good long time whereas with Wheel of Time it opens straight away with the prologue with the magic, and that's another reason why I think that it may be shunted away 
Mm. I actually have a feeling that it will open with something else, which would be a bit of a spoiler for you to talk about. Um, so we may not talk about it now. But I, I have a feeling that they're going to pull from somewhere else, actually from the new Spring novel. Oh, to, okay. um, there's going to be a scene that they're going to use to open the TV show, which will be similar to how Game of Thrones opened with the uh, with the with the White Walker being yeah. beyond the wall, and then it'll go to uh, chapter one, which is what I think will happen. Uh, I've been, you know, hmm. I've been wrong many times before. <laughs> Well, back to the prologue, and the prologue basically is that there's been a horrible uh, earthquake or something similar, but what it actually has been is never really revealed what actually has happened, although it still kind of happens, it's still quaking. Uh, and I, kind of interesting, what, what caught me was the juxtaposition that Robert Jordan uses every single sentence, basically, when he describes the way things look. There are paintings on the wall, some of them are askew. There are statues. Some of them are broken. It's like um, it's very interesting how he details it. Instead of saying like there are paintings askew, there are statues. You know, there's always he he like counts up these things that exist, and then what has happened to them afterwards. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think it's a good way. Well, I think it's what it's trying to make you feel confused. I think. Yeah. It's trying to make you feel like uh, and people that are listening. We're going to be butchering the pronunciation of names. Uh, so it's a long-running discussion, and we have time fandom about how some names are. And, and you know, Robert Jordan. You can hear Robert Jordan pronouncing some people, and some people disagree with him. So um, you know, uh, we're just saying, and if we're wrong, then you know, tell us that we're wrong. But uh, yeah, I think he's trying to. He, he, he tries to to make you confused and to feel the confusion that uh, Loose Thurin is is feeling. At the time, he does a great job of that because. Yeah. Uh, and what what I really like about it is when, um, Ishmael comes in, uh, he, you, I, I don't know what I know about you, but I always had some real kind of empathy with him, even though you know straight away when he comes in, he's, he's in black clothing, yeah. and he's got that, you know, he's a, he's at first he's like, oh, you know, look what you've done, dragon and all this kind of stuff. But straight away, you get this real empathy with him because I think it's when he sees, when he sees that the dragon isn't his nemesis anymore. No, it's this broken, confused figure. He is. Uh, it's not just like personal pride of wanting to beat him. It's more like there's a respect that he has for him, and you get that. You, you, you find that out a little bit more throughout the series, but you get that in that very, very quick. Yeah. Introduction. You see that Ishmael had this great respect for the dragon, even though he doesn't agree with him. And and you you discover that as well. This bit is like they're not. You, we're not so different, you and I. No. And they're not. It's just that they have a different ideological um, belief of how things should work. Um, and that's all it is. It's, there's a great respect. Well, Ishmael has a great respect for the dragon, and when he sees how he, what has happened to him. He's really taken aback by it, and it makes him an interesting character because you kind of like, well, this is an a mustache twir uh, twirling villain who's just going to be laughing and tackling his away while he's doing magic. He's actually like, oh, I, I don't want to see this guy like this. I want to see him how he how he is. Yeah, no, I, I got that too. I got that too. Yeah. I got a great deal of sympathy because it feels like here Ishmael comes in, 
Uh, and I think in, in a lot of ways, you get the sensation that he's, wait, he's, he's expecting this great big standoff, this mm, like final yeah. battle. And here is Louis Therrien, and he's confused, and he thinks that his wife is still alive, and he hasn't really understood what has happened. And it's just because, like, oh, was, was this how it was going to end? It goes out yeah. with a whimper instead of a bang. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There, there is a little bit of pettiness there to wish now because he wants him to see what he's done. Yeah. That is when, he, when he heals him, um, he, he, wants to see, he wants him to see what he's done, like, and that's like scoring points in a certain way. But, I mean, that's just because he feels like that's just what he has to do. Um, because I, I always think of that first, when he realises that first kind of shock that he has to see. Because obviously, we don't know how long this takes place after no. the sequel, uh, after the Dark One has been sealed away by the dragon. It could be years, it could be months, it could be years. We don't, I don't think we actually have a, a, a definitive answer on it. Um, so this is the first time that Ishmael's seen him as well. Then. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, a lot to unpack. How do you, um, when you finish reading the prologue, are you excited to read more of the book? You know what? I would probably say that once I—I I mean, I was—I was not the first time, as I said. Uh, I would probably say that the prologue uh, took me out of it both times that I read the book. I mean, now, now I'm counting. The first time I read it, I had to read the whole thing, so I didn't actually have a choice. Uh, but I mean, and that was fine. But I think when I, as I said, when I tried to listen to it the audio version of it, I just, I couldn't handle it. I, I couldn't get on, go on to the next part, even though I actually knew how it continues. Right. So, so I would say, you know, no, it didn't. I would say that the, had, had the, had the prologue been, well, it's, it's because when I read it the first time, I didn't know. I think I was good. I think if you look at the prologue, uh, in addition to how the rest of the story is played out or how it's told then I think I was very disappointed right because I thought that it was going to keep that kind of theme um, oh that kind of that kind of high fantasy kind of yeah kind of feeling that, yeah yeah so not, I mean that does come back <clears throat> later on in the series but obviously yeah it is quite a, a jarring change then straight to chapter one yeah but which we might as well talk about now. I think, I think we'll talk. I think actually we'll talk about chapter one through four because in my, in my, you know how I looked at it, and I actually spoke to my colleague who, who reads, who who's read them all and, and loves the series, is that. For for it being such a thick book, I was surprised now how easily I got through the first four chapters. Mm-hmm. And it made me, and, and actually, it wanted, I wanted to read, you know, I wanted to continue once I was done with the four chapters because I was just like, I know we're gonna, we're gonna pot about this, so I'll read the chapters, the, the following chapters yeah. after, so I don't mix things up. Um, and to mm-hmm. me, it felt like, and you can tell me if you agree or not, but I felt that those four chapters really could have been one long ass chapter. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, there's something that. Robert Jordan does it's very clever with the start of the actual book is that he makes it 
very, very similar to Lord of the Rings in kind of tone and even the way that some characters are named, like you have Matt and Perry, yeah, Merry and Pippin, and they're the kind of side characters. And yeah, so you got to kind of think of when this came out. So it came out in 1990. So it was really like since Lord of the Rings, then you, you kind of had like David Edmondson and other people like that, um, the Shannara Chronicles and everything that were very Lord of the Rings based. And obviously, Wheel of Time comes out to be completely Lord of the Rings. There's no but when you get to kind of like uh, Shadow Rising, for example, there's no real um, similarities at all with how the series has progressed. But at the very, very start, it's like he's opening his arms and he's kind of coming, come on, come to me. This yeah. is, you know what's going to happen here. This is going to happen. It's going to be nice. It's going to be a little bit different to what you're used to, but, you know, it's going to have all these simple folk living in this nice, idyllic little village and there's a black rider and there's like three young boys that are like the names of that characters and it kind of just welcomes you in with something very very familiar mm. um, which is really really clever because it makes after the prologue which is quite different and then there's that jarring kind of going from that to uh, a man and son walking down the dirt path in the middle of a forest like when they're surrounding it's very very different so it needs to have that kind of opening kind of like you know and he does a great job of interrupting the characters because when you when you kind of um come across special boys you know their characteristics right away you know that matt's the rogue yeah you know that you know that perrin is the level-headed gentle giant uh that's very thoughtful you know rand is kind of like the 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 point of view character he's well he has his own he's not like a harry potter no he has no characteristics he has characteristics and you know he 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 does it really in a really great way because you you go on this little journey with random tam his father coming into uh two rivers you're following them on their journey so as they're kind of they've not been there for a few months they say it's been a long winter and everything so they're kind of reintroducing themselves to everyone in in the village so you're able to be introduced to the characters at the same time, and it's really, really, it's a real organic way of doing it. It's not just like the, you know, uh, I've started reading the Dresden books recently, which I, I love and really into them. But the first few books, especially yeah. whenever any appears, Dresden just goes, "Here comes this person into the room. They have brown eyes and blue hair," and it just rattles off how they look and the name and all this kind of stuff. Whereas in this. It's very organic, and you feel like it's old friends meeting old friends, which is like a really nice way to be brought into a book, I think. Yeah. No, and and yeah, no, I'll agree. Uh, but in the way, I mean, and I think that also t- kind of turned me off when I read it the first time because, I mean, I think, I mean, you have to look at it, the situation of when I what why I was reading the book. I mean, I'd been reading so much fantasy. For such a long time, I mean, this. I think this is my when I when I read Eye of the World for the first time. I've been studying literature for like three years mm-hmm. and focusing on fantasy literature for most of that time. Uh, so I've come across quite a bit, uh, and I've read my my share of David Eddings because I had to, and I had to read Shannara as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm you. I've kind of like, and even the Weiss and Hickman stories, which is 
Weiss and Hickman for I mean you have to admit that they they've done a lot for the genre but I mean really they're very simple books the story is very simple based on archetypes uh, that you recognize if you've played a role-playing game you know exactly what it is you know the rogue the sorcerer the barbarian you know those guys and to me this just kind of when I read it the first time it kind of harkened back to to that yeah uh, and as you said, with with Lord of the Rings, it's kind of, it's so very familiar because, as we start out, yes, it's a, you're walking a dirt path. They're they're walking this road. They're followed by a a, a dark rider. Maybe uh, Rand's the only one that sees him. Then they go into the village, and then it's all these details about how they're going to prepare for a feast. Yes, like Bilbo's party. Yeah, and and. Yeah. And then they're excited because there's going to be a um, a storyteller coming, which is like a big deal in this little village. Yeah, it's like when Gandalf was riding with his fireworks. It's very, yeah. it's very similar. Like you know, when, yeah, and then Jordan has like you know, he and you can see these interviews from way back in the day. Soon after Iowa came out, he actually was like, "Yeah, I did it on purpose." Like there was different versions of this, which was very different. And he went back to this kind of way because he wanted to. He acknowledged that he wanted to do it. I just, I just think it's, I just like, I just, I, I, I as you're rereading these, I'm rereading them too. And um, where the series ends, it was a real joy to go back for me to the two rivers at the start because it's just, it's all just so nice. And like, even like the, the the stuff that's like drama for them. It's just so like trivial. Like you've got people complaining about like, oh, we've got a new wisdom. She's, she's a young woman, and she's just she's, she beat Sen Dewey over the head with stick and all this kind of stuff. And then you've got all these women from the Haskin town who don't have found someone to marry and all that. And you have like Matt, who like just and he's like, oh come on, we've caught a badger. Come on, let's go and run. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm, and, and I'll, I'll do. I, I will admit that today and i mean probably like you i mean when i when i when i was reading this must have been when i read it the first time i remember we're talking like 2002 2003 because mm-hmm. that's when i was studying literature um yeah. so and then i think i was a very much of a cocky reader you know, as you can be when you're immersed in that world and you're thinking you have all the answers and you think all of these like things are you know, that the, you believe that what you know is gospel truth of how to write a, a fantasy story or what a fantasy story is and what is good quality fantasy. Um, but today, when I'm a much more humble reader and also a writer, uh, I think I can look at it from a different perspective. I, I will yeah. say... I will say this that I do I mean I like the whole setup because it feels very homely homey uh the familiarity you think of Willow beginning of the Willow movie yeah everything is nice and joyous um there's something that breaks that Willow finds a baby there are death dogs or hellhounds or whatever they're called that that like roam through the village which basically would be kind of the black rider and the emergence yeah. of some strangers that haven't been in the village before. 
yeah, it's, it's a good way of offending the status quo. It's interesting you said there, like, looking at it as a writer point of view. Like, you have to... When we've written fantasy uh, novel, in your case, and the in mind, that out being queried at the moment, uh, which means people, publishers are reading them to see if they're going to take them on and everything. Um, and, and that can, sometimes you want to get right into it. Like, I love Stephen Erickson in his first one, Gardens, the moon just opens at the end of this massive big battle, and you just like. And I, I was quite an experienced fantasy reader when I first read this. I read that after we had time, or where I was up to at the time. And I was like completely confused, I had no idea what the hell was going on with things. And sometimes you want to do that. You want, I want to get straight into this action straight away. Mm. But like, when you're writing it as a story, you have to consider, you have to ease, but you have to give them that book at the start, which is what Gordon tried to do with a prologue. And then you have to ease people into it as well and introduce things in a way. But what I think is really, really clever, what he does is, is with the with the, um, with the Black Rider or, or the Madral, as they're called, um, in Wheel of Time, um, what he does is he, he, he keeps spreading that up. He, he doesn't let that image go away. So you, you see it with Rand at the start, so you know that Rand has seen it. And instead of him forgetting about it and just thinking it's like a shadow or, or his eyes playing tricks, he mentions it to people. So when he sees Matt, he mentions it. And then Matt admits that he's seen it as well. And mm-hmm. he mentions it to Peck. So you have this constant kind of... You know, Eddins does something very similar in the Belgaria, where he where uh, Belgarian sees a black rider watching him and he sees him throughout his whole life and he never tells anyone about it which makes it more kind of like you know, you can't relate to that because if you were a child and you saw someone menacing that's watching you, you're going to tell someone about it and that's what's good about with, with, with these characters, like they're not children they're, they're older, they're like late teens, early twenties but they're telling each other about it they're reacting like real people but, um, and what is really a neat point points out then is that there's an extra wrinkle added to it where there's these two strangers that have appeared. Um, and it's not only is it good as a wrinkle to kind of upend the status quo of this place, it adds a little bit of drama and tension and it's also great for the old as well because then you learn like Moraine is like the Gandalf character, if you will, yeah. in a way. You know, Tom Merrill is kind of the Gandalf character in a way as well and how he's introduced but what it does is it's a great um, way to expand the world straight away. So you get this person with this completely different point of view um, and world viewpoint and experience all these different things that's coming into this small place and they're able to kind of expand the main characters around Mary and Pat, Egwene and the Knaves' minds very, very quickly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think everything really is is on point here and i think i do as i said i do appreciate it more today than i did when i read it first because i i mean obviously the wisdom of age the wisdom of being a writer or the experience of being a writer and the wisdom of reading even more fantasy after this you kind of see that i mean this is well done and and even fantasy writers that I really enjoy like Joe Abercrombie he kind of does the same thing he has a, a similar setup initially as well yeah. even though it takes place in a bigger city and is less idyllic um, in a way 
But the one thing I didn't, absolutely did not care for this time, and I reacted to that when I read the comic book, and I reacted to that when I read it this first time, is how naive the these boys seem to be. And it made me question, are they simple, or are they just very young? Because, I mean, you really don't find out what their ages are. Yeah, you, you don't find out really what their ages are for a while. Like, they're, they're about 18 and 19 is their ages at the start. And it but... feels like the way they react and the way they talk to each other is more of somebody who is 12, 13. Mm. To me. Yeah, I, I get that. I can, I can see where you're coming from. The way I always kind of looked at that was, was that um, they're meant to, it's meant to kind of reflect that they're very sheltered in a way. But the, 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 the girls, like, you know, Egwene seems a lot older than them. Yeah, she's a few years younger. She's about sixteen and seventeen, um, and the knees are I think about twenty two or twenty three, and she seems way way older. But I think that's a bit of Robert Jordan's kind of um, characterization of the genders. Mm. I think he kind of like likes to uh, make men seem a little bit more simple than women. <laughs> I think <laughs> he enjoys that aspect of it, uh, and you know he, he does like a little bit of gender politics throughout the whole book. I mean, obviously, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, with the, with the way the magic system is, that's a, a big part of it as well. Um, and that's a, that is a theme that runs through it from, you know, from the very, very start. Men are very, very different to women in the Wheel of Time. Um, and, uh, you know, you even have, like, Lan and Moraine. And Lan is very, very capable. He's probably the, the most capable man in the whole of the world. Uh, in the whole of the series, I'd actually... <laughs> Uh, from start to finish, but Moraine doesn't really need him. Like she's can, she's completely capable of looking after herself. Mm. Um, you know, it's she's she's a. Uh, it, I think it's a, it, for me like reading it, and going back reading it again, even still now, like twenty years later, it's refreshing to see that um, the big wizard character is a female. Yeah. Um, I think that's always something that was very progressive about his writing. And I think it's something that shouldn't really be forgotten these days is because um, more often than not, that character type would be a male. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Moraine is like a, a trendsetter in a lot of ways. Um, and he's a great character. How do you, you're introduced to these characters, like, obviously the first couple of characters, characters, or chapters, is introducing the two rivers and, and the kind of, character sets that come in and everything is kind of setting up that there's going to be uh, these people. So I want to ask you a few questions. How, what, when, when Padden Thane comes in, uh, obviously you've read The Great Hunt and you know what happened with Padden Thane. What, do you, how did you feel about him when he first comes in and he's, he's kind of telling them about uh, the false dragon that's, that's, that's out there and all this kind of stuff? Did, did you, what, what value did you get off him? I don't, I don't know. I felt, I, I think it's difficult to say to pinpoint him as a character because I felt like all these the the ones that come into Two Rivers, um, like Moraine and and even the, I mean all these characters that come in that are strangers, um, I kind of like bunch them together as like one character, like a Strider slash Gandalf character. So, so this at this point, I didn't really have like an an idea um, of 
of who they are you'd have to ask me that question again next <laughs> next time because i felt like to me it kind of i and this usually doesn't happen to me but um i did get a little bit confused with all the names of people right. that came in and the one that stood out for me most was i mean obviously rand uh Egwene, uh and moraine were like my main takeaways of the characters that were important that i needed to remember and mm -hmm. uh, so i think that they the other characters kind of faded into the background and even randall thor's father who actually has in the first four chapters kind of has like a, a seemingly has such a, a very important role as he seems to be kind of rand's um counterpart in a way He's like the wise version of Rand. Mm -hmm. And it made me wonder, what is it that happens to the men in two rivers that they seem so juvenile for such a long time and then they become like these wise old men? Well, you find that out about, you find out about Tam pretty shortly, which we, don't, we won't cover in this, this edition, unfortunately. You get a little bit of a... You get a little bit of a... Um, backstory to him, but I think it might be just wisdoms going around beating them on the head with sticks. Only <laughs> beat sensing for them. Um, I think that's what happened. That's the main role. Uh, you know. uh, so, as we're going through the chapters here, so the, the boys, the main boys, get given, they discover that they're given coins from Moraine. Yeah. But um, the ones given to Matt, Perrin, and Rand are different to the one that are given to the other boys. Um, so, obviously, this comes into play a little bit later what do you think that is all about well i'm i'm thinking that um i felt that this was obviously very uh well like predestinational uh it's already been decided that these four kids are going to do something they have to go somewhere uh early fantasy novels 80s 90s infamous for characters traveling that's what they do they go places yeah. And that's probably talking. So they're supposed to. They have a mission of some kind to go somewhere, yeah. uh, is what I'm thinking. Very standard, and that's also I remember that from the last time. Is oh, this is very standard. It's kind of like um, I think it is the dark, um, the black cauldron. Mm, it's kind yeah, of similar. Yeah. It's like Terran, you have to go here. You're like the chosen one, and I would have liked to see it maybe being a little bit more random. Because it feels sometimes that that's sometimes a lot of times a problem that people have, and especially here in Sweden, you hear it a lot, and you have to defend fantasy a lot. Is that things always seem so damn random, uh, and that it's not believable that these uh, kids are, you know, that they have these innate abilities that in the end are going to allow them to defeat the powers of darkness. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can, yeah, it is, it is a trope, um, and it's not something, I don't work with grimdark fantasy now, it's not something that's quite as apparent, no. it's still there, um, but the, these characters with destinies are, are generally a little bit older, and they've been doing something, and they're usually they're in some different kind of setting, the kind of um, people in, in the backwater kind of setting isn't very, is, it's been moved away from now, um, for whatever reason, just because it was it was a trope and it was yeah. something that was done quite a lot. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you, you kind of get an idea of what is going on with that one. I mean, the structure of the first four chapters are quite interesting in a way because it's basically each chapter is an introduction to one of the characters, yeah. these strangers. So you have like um, Tam and Randan entering two two rivers. Then you have the second chapter where it's um, you have more of like you know the the, the, the talking and, and Matt and. and uh, Moraine and Lana are introduced and chapter 3 is Pad and Thane who also then uh, gives a bit of an expedi- expedition dump about what's going on outside of yeah. the two um, and the, what did you feel about hearing about the, the false dragons does that interest you when you hear about like the false dragons and the wars I, I was going to say that, that that's probably the part in these, chap- in the, these chapters that actually in- interests me and intrigues me the most because when I was thinking back to when I was before I even started, when I started reading the second time, before I was kind of thinking, is what is it that I remember from the the book? What what are the things that I remember? And I remember those things in the beginning that it was very Tolkien esque, and I remember that that's what I didn't like about it. I remember that the prologue was very different, but I did not remember this part. I did not remember the discussion of uh, the false dragon or and 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 kind of like the 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 Aes Sedai and that whole pe- part because I remember Trollocs and I remember Trollocs were like these are orc ripoffs and we're gonna get to Trollocs later uh, in the coming uh, and also there is I don't know you've read David Gemmel right yeah the legend there's they have the, they also have a similar beast right like some kind of half mix uh, yeah, and it reminded I mean, me of them as well. Yeah, it was a real conscious uh, effort, I think, from fantasy readers of that time to do something that wasn't an orc or a goblin. Yeah. So it was like they were recognizing that they had to have some kind of creature. Yeah. Um, that served the evil, but they're like, let's not make it an orc or a goblin. Let's just do something else. That's boy, it's essentially <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. But but I've also I've also realized that in in my own writing with fantasy is that I think I've come to terms as why can't I use orcs or elves or goblins? Yeah, I mean, they're already so. part of the pantheon. Am I not supposed to be able to have my characters walk a path through the woods or go to an inn? Which is also the same standard trope. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, it's like, I, th- I, think, um, I think, I don't know if it's the writers or if it's the readers are obviously the rise of the internet where people get hung up on these things a little bit too much because no we, we write horror as well um, yeah. and you know, horror is something that the tropes are celebrated people expect to see them they're upset if they don't see them yeah. so if you're if you're like writing a horror story that's that's set on like um someone who's on the road you're expecting to see truck stops you're expecting to see motels you're expecting to have a little bit of sex in them as well you're expecting all these kind of things if you don't hit those things it's not a good horror story no. whereas with that scene there's become this thing where it's like oh well you know we don't want to use elves again it's like well no use elves but put your own spin on them yeah. do something and and, uh, and that's what I've done I, I give the elves you know a different ty- a different name depending on what type of elf it is if it's an elf elf that like lives in, in like the story that I'm writing now um which is supposed to take place in like a frozen landscape. That's a, a different type of elf that is 
you know, essentially equipped to live in those kind of extreme conditions. And yeah. I'll write them, I'll give them a certain name, but then I'll also write frost elves afterwards so that the reader will understand what kind of creature it is we're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. I think that's, um, I mean, that's something that Jordan, I mean, we're not trollocs yet, but this, this section with a false dragon, I think it's, um, it's a good way, I think it's a really good section, and it's something that, oh, that interested, I can remember reading it the first time and thinking, oh, this is, this, what's this? this, this is something to do with, this reminds me of the prologue with false dragons and there's a slight dragon mm -hmm. things that kind of made the prologue a little bit more relevant to me because it's like, well, obviously this term is still used for something, but now people think it's a bad thing. And, you know, I could, get, I could see that correlation between the prologue and this bit. Yeah. I wanted to see more of it. You know, I wanted to, uh, I understood, I understand now that, like, you know, this is from Rand's point of view, so you're not going to see this battle or anything. However, I would not be surprised in the slightest if the TV show actually shows you these battles and Loghain being captured by the Aes Sedai. Okay. Yeah, um, maybe, uh, maybe, actually. But I, I just like this whole idea of having a world that is going on outside of the the characters what the, what they're experiencing because mm. uh, it make, make gives and as, as i said i don't remember this from the first time i read it right and it gives all of a sudden it gave the story a lot more depth because like, i was reading the david pringles illustrated guide to fantasy the, and he has a section on both the world uh, the world of the wheel of time and mm. about robert jordan uh, and he said that he says there that the strength of Robert Jordan is that he created such a vast world, yeah, just like Tolkien. And this is definitely proof of that. It is, yeah. Cause it's very early on as well. Like you know, it's, it's something that it's obviously it's something that's hooked you when you've read it this this, this time. Um, he is very you know there's a lot. Of, there's two ways of, of building worlds, I think. There's, there's one of, it, of just, you know, referencing things. Actually, no, there's more than two ways. Referencing things and, and showing things is one. Another way is history of, of the world and showing that. And another way is cultures. And culture especially is something that he thrives in and is really, really interested in. And that's something that comes into play a lot more as you read through the series. But with this one with the false dragon, this, in terms of world building, it's showing that scope and it's showing you that kind of tapestry of history as well, harking back to the prologue. And what I like about it as well, it's quite relevant because you've got someone coming in telling them the news. Yeah. Some people are lapping it up in the village and some people are just like outright dismissing it as rubbish. It's like, no, never, no, this isn't happening. And it's so like, it's so funny because, you know, you look at like Twitter or something like that and as soon as some kind of news that comes on, you have like, half the people just immediately believe it and the other half are just dismissing it. It's just something that's so irrelevant. Um, even even though it's just some peddler on a cart that's telling about some country that these people have never been to, about something they've never even seen, and that it's like some people are just straight away like, no, I don't believe this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but all, all in all, I thought that the... I mean, and even with the prologue, as a reread, uh, it made me want to read more. That's I was, good. I am, I was hooked. Uh, even though, as I said, I've, the tropes were very familiar. I thought the kids were a little bit too juvenile, but I am in. I was interested. In, it felt, it felt now before going into the fifth chapter, 
I felt that we're on the precipice of something happening. Yeah. Well, it's because what happens then in the fourth chapter is obviously Tom Maryland comes out and uh, causes a bit of a stir. He yeah. calls an a, a young a young slip of a girl, <laughs> which he doesn't take very kindly to. Um, and he, uh, what what's interesting about this chapter is, and we, we we talked about it briefly before about how like Rand is telling his friends about the uh, the Black Rider. Black Riders. Normally in these kind of stories, the adults don't believe them. But yeah. in this one, Tam comes out and says, when they're on the way back to, to, to their home, he says, uh, all the other boys have seen them too. We've talked about it. And that is that always interested me, because it's kind of like, it shows you a real great characteristic of Tam. Mm. It might not, obviously it wasn't just Tam that was talking about it, but he he's believed Rand when, when Rand has told him about it. He's believed it enough that... He's gonna he's gonna talk to other men about it, other people, his friends about it. Even if, uh, even if it could be something crazy, he's believed his son yeah. so much that he's gonna say he's seen something on the road, um, and then that's kind of sparked the other parents to be saying, yeah, you know what, my lad has seen someone too. Um, and it, again, it gives you that, as you say, it gives you that sense that something's about to happen. Uh, it's a great way of increasing tension. It's a great way of ending the chapter actually, because it is like yeah. a very subtle cliffhanger that. That thing that you've seen, it's actually here, it's out there, and um, you know they're, they're up to something, they're looking for someone. Mm. Yeah, and I think it also shows that Tam has uh, seen some stuff. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So, Definitely. so, so that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I think uh, it, it's got a good jumping off point for the five next chapters that we're going to read in, in or we're going to talk about in two weeks. Yeah, because um, Winter Night is next, and uh, what what I think is interesting about the start is, and I'm looking at it again from like a, a writer point of view, is that there's a very subtle horror. Yeah, yeah, no, theme. I reacted to that too. Um, you know, and it's kind of like even if you look at it as in a horror film, you have that kind of someone sees someone stalking them, and then it goes, everything goes to normal for a while. Maybe they go to school, or maybe they go to work, or whatever, and then that tension increases subtly until something happens and then obviously when we talk about winter night what happens in winter night there's it is quite horrific actually when you put it, i wonder if that's something they'll lean into a little bit more with the just to differentiate themselves from game of thrones a little bit when the tv show comes out i think that, that yeah i think that if they're wise um that's what they'll do i think they'll lean a little bit more on that aspect of it because as we said before, this can easily turn into Shannara or, you know, Earthsea. So, yeah, the the, the thing that kind of allies my fear is a couple of things actually. One is that uh, the showrunner is a huge Wheel of Time fan, like he's passionate about Wheel of Time, which is always a good sign to get someone in like that. Yeah. And secondly, is that like Amazon are throwing tons of money at it. Um, like you know, Amazon, I think. When it, I actually, there's not there's not many Amazon shows that I've seen that I like. There's some that I, I like and some that I don't like, but there's not any of them that I've seen where I thought they look a bit cheap. No. I mean, they are quite good, and they all have, they have great production values. Whereas with from what I've read online and stuff with Wheel of Time, that the budget that they've got per episode is pretty much in line with Game of Thrones' mm. final season. So, like, that's where, when you look at Shannara, made by MTV, it's like, <laughs> you know... It was uh, 
it was cheap and nasty, and that's the kind of you know it doesn't mean that you need money to make something good. No, but no, no. With, with fantasy, if it looks bad, it's hard to kind of get over straight away off the bat. Well, I think what I learned from watching comparing Lord of the Rings to to uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the mm. movies, is that Lord of the Rings has a, a a high degree of believability, and you know, like Frodo's. Uh, finger, fingernails are cracked and broken. There's dirt on the fingernails. They're dirty. They they cry. They feel things. Whereas in Dungeons and Dragons, you can be uh, the main character. I don't even. I think one of the Wayans brothers is in it. Yes, yeah. And and it's like for for some reason, <laughs> and they 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 fight and they battle and like nothing nothing hurts them. Nothing harms them. I think it's the whole thing of like when James Bond when Daniel Craig took over James Bond. Yeah. For the first time, James Bond was getting injured, and he was allowed to feel something. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That which was unusual made him more human. Uh, I think that's, I think that's good. Do you, do you find like after the prologue, I suppose, um, with the first kind of four chapters, do you find, do you find it grounded? Um, I don't know if I did. Um. To be to be honest, like if you if you're talking about that, I felt that it was uh, you know believable, in the sense that I felt that this was a, a a real little town. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I did not. I found that there's probably also a little bit of the ju the being the, the kids being so juvenile. I felt everything being a little bit too idyllic, and it it did make me think of Lloyd Alexander's series, Paliander. Right. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That it's a little bit like, because I always when I when I talk to my students, I always tell tell them that you need to have believability when you write, uh, mm -hmm. no matter what it is you write, because a farm boy that finds a magic sword is not is not automatically going to be able to kill a dragon. Just mm -hmm. because you have a sword doesn't mean that you're the hero. So yeah. in a real in a true more grimdark fantasy story, the the boy would probably die. Fighting yeah, the dragon. He'd fall on it. He'd fall on it. He'd fall over and fall on his side. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and yeah. I think that there's a there's there was a, a, a Swedish fantasy author here uh, that wrote a, wrote a book called Black Black Fire, which is actually if that they should have they should have tried to translate it into English and mass marketed in 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 English speaking countries because it was quite it was quite grim and it was very very dark. Uh, and I mean, there was, I mean, it takes place in the beginning very much like um, Eye of the World in a rural area in a small town. But the main character, he is the adopted son, or he's like a foster son to the village blacksmith who is, who is a drunk. And the, the, he beats him. And, you know, she describes like the, the crack of bones, there's rape. Like stuff that actually happens in a poor rural community um, in the Middle Ages. Yeah, right. And that's more kind of grounded than kind of. Yeah, I, I always. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed the first four chapters of it, but I can. I, the two rivers, uh, the revisit the two rivers later on in the, in the series, I think you'll find it a bit more kind of. 
to your liking when you revisit it. It kind of strikes me a little bit at the beginning. There's the two rivers itself is um, a plot device, yeah, than a real place because it's like you know it's used to introduce characters and it's used to show that it's used as a um, it's it's there to juxtapose this new this this outside world coming into the, this this place and to show how these people are kind of like fish out of water and everything like that when when they leave it. Um, so yeah, I kind of get that what, what you're saying, but um, it, it, yeah, because it's it's just there. It's it's a place that's there to be left behind. Yeah, it's the place that's there to live in, which I think he does well later on in the series when they when they go back there. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty much that for now. Like, um, so who who would you say is your standout character so far? I would probably say. I mean, obviously, Rand because it's quite obvious that he's the main character here but i like moraine right i like her as a character uh, i like her attitude mm. um and i think robert jordan does a very good he he does very well in creating a sense of wisdom and power within her without doing yeah. very much yeah yeah yeah, it's just the way he describes her and the way that she kind of interacts with people. And um, she's, I, I like that she's small, but she's so big in stature. Yeah. I did a good job of describing that, I think. What about you? What's your, what was your standout character? I mean, obviously you've read it all, so. I, I'm, always, I'm always a fan of rogues, so I, I do like Matt, um, even though I have a very love-hate relationship with Matt in the first two books, <laughs> uh, which I think a lot of people do. I think... Um, Again, this is going into further on, but there's, there's something that Robert Jordan does his arc, which I think makes him very unlikable, and he does it too well. Uh, and then to the point where, as I think at the start of the third book, he kind of goes through a, a little bit of a character reboot to make him likable again. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, but I, I, I do. I have, I've always been a fan of Rogue, so I like Matt. I like Lan as well. Like I'm, I'm always intrigued by Lan. That was kind of my. Uh, youthful Aragorn worship. Yeah. So when Land was introduced, I was kind of like, oh, it's an, it's an Aragorn. I'm well in that. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now, like, looking back at now, now, like, I'd say Moraine is, is the, the most intriguing character out of a lot of them by far. Um, you know, she's different enough that from a Gandalf, she's, she is that kind of role, but she's a lot more, you get that sense of danger from her as well. Like when you're introduced in these kind of uh, books, uh, like Alvaron or, or Gandalf or, or someone like that, or, 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 um, or Belgrad or someone like that, you, you, they're always kind of funny old men yeah. that are gentle. Uh, and, you know, they, they like to smoke and they like to drink and they like to, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Marine is different from that straight away. Yeah. She's very regal. She's very, she has like, a guy in a in a camouflage cloak following around who's who's described as like a wolf yeah. that is like you know ready poised for action. Um, she's you know she's just very very different. That she's she's not a fun character. She's got no time for uh, frivolities like these kind of archetypes usually have. She's very much down to business. So straight away you, you kind of get this different vibe from where it's like as you said before there is something about to happen because she is not the kind of character or person 
to be somewhere where something isn't about to happen. Yeah. Um, so it's no, it's good. She's she's a great character. I like her a lot. And you find out a lot more about her as well. But she's a, it's a great. He, I think out of all the characters, he does a great job of introducing her in that kind of environment. Very very kind of few words really. Mm. That's 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 their first four chapters in the prologue of the Eye of the World. Yes. Uh, that is, and I think we will return in uh, in two weeks uh, to talk about the coming five chapters. So it'll be five to, to ten. Uh, and I'm actually excited to, to do this, and probably we'll splice in. Now we had a little bit of an introduction, and we'll probably do a little introduction to each episode, but maybe we'll talk about a little bit of news. I yeah. actually have a Robert Jordan anecdote that I think I will save for... Uh, Next, next time. Oh, excellent! Just, a, just a hop, That's the cliffhanger. That's yeah. the cliffhanger. <laughs> well, it's not. It doesn't actually have to do with me and Robert Jordan, but it. I. Um, uh, yeah. No. It, it. But it's. Um, yeah. We'll take it then. We'll take it that time. Yeah, a little bit of news will be good because obviously there's a lot of Wheel of Time news at the moment. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, we're we're authors in our own right as well, so we have things that we can kind of talk about if people are interested in. Yeah. And we have a Twitter uh, handle for. Um, this is anyway it is just at easing the reader exactly and you can follow this podcast on spotify uh, anchor and actually basically anywhere you get your podcasts uh, if you have a podcast app uh, you can download it easing the reader um, give us a like follow us leave a review uh, if you have, if you don't agree with what we've said, then I'm sure let us know. people do not agree with what we've said. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our, uh, our, I'll put in the show notes. I'll put up uh, ways to get in contact with us if you want to write us a personal note of how wrong we are. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you feel like doing that. Uh, but uh, for uh, David Green, my name is Chris Mary Holtzman, and keep keep reading. Keep reading. The, the wheel turn. The wheel wheels as the wheel. Whatever. I can never remember that thing. <laughs> next I can never time. say it. It, tongue, it, tongue, it ties my tongue so badly when yeah. I'm trying to. Next time yeah. you're gonna have to just have that in front of you, and we can end the show like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, read it. And so, hopefully, we've uh, we've eased some of the reading of Wheel of Time for you. Anyway. <laughs>